0: Hello everybody, welcome to Splat Attack. I am your storytelling host, Alex. And over on our Beyond Belief episode, we did a section that was called Splat or Fiction. In this segment, both Brett, Monica, and myself all gave two stories. Uh, One that was completely bogus and uh, one that was uh, true. And in my portion of doing the spider Fiction, I did mention that I do have another story that goes along with Beyond Belief, uh, really delves into the supernatural quite a bit. Uh, It is a true story. It is a fairly lengthy story, but if anyone was interested to hear it, I'll be happy to share it and I did receive a couple comments and quite a few emails, uh, especially after uh, this past week or so when, um, I, I don't know, just <laughs> I don't know what it was about this last couple weeks, but we did have a few more people reach out and tell me that they would like to hear the story. So with that in mind, I want to preface beforehand, because I have said this before in several episodes, I teach children's ministry uh I am a Christian, I'm a firm believer in God and I'm not preaching to you what I'm doing is I'm telling you my experience uh, so if you're if you don't believe in that kind of thing or you don't want to hear this story, perfectly fine to shut the episode down and uh, we'll see you in the next episode which has nothing to do with any of this but if you don't mind to hear this kind of thing, uh, then stick around uh, because it, it does have a very very touching ending. Uh, but with that being said, uh, I, I do feel that this is an important story to tell because there are a lot of people out there who are going through a lot of turmoil and frustration. And we're actually going to be going through and talking quite a bit uh, in a, a future mini about some very, very serious topics. Uh, but that aside... I do want the podcast to be about 90s nostalgia and enjoy and reminisce and find things that get people excited and and remember their youth. But at the same time, I want the show to really speak to people on a personal level and uh, let them know there is an ugly side of life. And it's important that we talk about these just as much. If not more so than the good times, because they help us to grow, and um, it's it's going to mean a lot to to everyone. Well, I, I'm I'm going to re- retract that statement. Uh, it, not not necessarily for ever, everyone, but there are a lot of people who go through situations like this, and it's important to know it's okay to talk about these kinds of things. And, and it's kind of a taboo topic. Most people don't want to talk about this kind of thing, but it's important. So that being said, I'm I'm going to get into the story now. So with this in mind, uh, submitted for the approval of the Slimester Splat Attack Society, uh, I call this story, The Girl in the Wind. A question that kids are often asked whenever they're growing up and they're in school and teachers wanna ask this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And throughout most of my childhood, my career had frequently changed uh, at first the the first thing I remember I wanted to be was an archeologist because I absolutely loved Indiana Jones and I wanted to go on adventures and uh, thanks to my brother he completely shot that dream down saying you know that's not at all what archeology span is really like and he explained it to me I was like oh well that sounds boring um, well then I want to be a Jedi and uh, <laughs> when I learned that wasn't really a thing either well, then I wanted to be a magician and then I wanted to be an artist and then I wanted to be an actor. But the thing is, my career changed of what I wanted to be. But who I wanted to be, that has never changed. That has stayed the same for as long as I can remember. And even at being a young kid, in elementary school, I wanted to be a father. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I just know that I love the idea of being a dad. Uh, I, I love my dad. I was actually very fortunate to have, in a way, two fathers in my life. I have my biological father, and then I have my children's pastor. Uh, my dad taught me a lot about loving family and trying to take care of the home and no matter how tired you are he will always make time to support family and my children's pastor taught me a lot about self love and taught me about how to have a strong moral compass and a strong self image which I had a very very poor self image whenever we first met as well as how to be a good leader and um, taught me a lot about just life. And so did my biological father. I, my children's pastor was a surrogate dad. And I, I love the idea that I, I'm going to have my own home and have a job that I'm going to love to do. But more importantly, I'll have a family. I'll have, I, I want a wife who loves me for who I am and wants to be with me. And I want to be with her. And then I want to have children, plural children who love their father and I love them and I want to be with them and play with them, hang out with them, watch movies, and they in turn want to do the same with me. And as a kid. I'd get together with my family and uh, we'd have big family reunions and I'd be with my cousins and we'd play house and I was always the dad and uh, as I grew up that passion never really faltered Uh, it stayed the same throughout my changing youth I used to pretend whenever I was by myself that I had people around me Uh, I I know that there are people out there, probably you, who tends to talk to themselves whenever they're by themselves and no one's around and they think no one's listening. And we'll just start spouting out whatever is on our mind and on our heart. But I would focus it towards an imaginary person, even though I was a teenager by this point. I still had imaginary people in my life, but they weren't imaginary friends. They were children. I used to pretend that I had kids. And it was always one boy and one girl. The, the girl was the oldest. I never had a specific name for them. I always just called her sweetheart and him buddy, or Bub, uh, that, that was my names for them. And no matter what I was doing, they wanted to be with me. It didn't matter if I was, as long as mom and dad were gone and my brother was gone, I was just at the house by myself, I would pretend they were there. And I would be sitting down to play a video game and they'd wanna watch me play, or I'd watch a movie, and I'd make, I'd get a pizza and get it out of the oven, set it down next to the nightstand, and I'd eat uh, a, a nice, fresh, hot pizza and watch a movie, and my fake children would be here beside me on the bed, and we'd all watch this, you know, Jackie Chan movie together, eating pizza. And um, it just whatever, whatever I was doing, the kids wanted to be with me, even if they didn't want to, because I did imagine this too, even if they weren't interested because they had their own different characters. If they weren't interested in what I was doing, they didn't care as long as they were in the same room with me and then they could just play with their toys. And I was fantasized about that kind of thing always. And again, the older I got, the more and more I just wanted to have kids. I wanted to have this family. I wanted to have a wife. I wanted to have kids. I want to have a job. I want to have a house. But whenever you're in high school, that seems like such a far, far off goal. Um, I know that there are some people who ended up having that much sooner, but they had to struggle to get to the place where they wanted to be. But I grew up very conservative Christian. I, I grew up with you had to date somebody for a long period of time, court them, uh, marry them, be with them for a while, and then have kids. That that was the plan. Uh, that's the way it was always instructed to me that it should be. And Megan and I, we've known each other for many years. We grew up in church together. And that that is a story that is also another beyond belief story, if you really want to hear that one. But uh, maybe say that for next year is that's a long story of how the two of us got together, because I still I still have yet to have proposed to her. And she say, yes. Um, yeah, I didn't even get to propose. But uh, that aside. The two of us, when we got married. We dated for almost two years and then we were going to get married but in the while the two of us were dating we were just carrying on conversation talking about potential future and you know how how young teenage uh, young adult couples are whenever they're dating and that it's starting to get serious and you start talking about a wedding you know what what would our wedding look like who would we have in our wedding and i mean we're planning it but we're not really planning it it's just wishful thinking and somehow, I don't know how the conversation got here, but Megan asked me, how do I feel about children? Would I want to have children one day? And I told her, absolutely. And I told her everything that I had just told all of you. Uh, it was a passion of mine. I desperately want to have kids someday. Not now, not in a hurry, but I do want to have kids. And she made a promise to me. She said that if one day we tied the knot and we got married, she will do everything she can at some point in our marriage to give me children. And that was the first thing I think anyone has ever told me in a positive light that made me tear up and cry i i've never been so happy that i cried before but just the fact that i've met somebody who i'm very connected with and i love very much and she feels the same way about me and that one day she's willing to help me have kids and and i'm i'm over the moon about all of this uh, i i'm closer and closer to getting my family that I've always wanted. And I'm, I'm so excited about everything. And, um, while we are in the process of planning our wedding, the big question came up. When did we want to have kids? Do we want to start like as soon as we're married or do we want to wait? Because we've read, uh, we, we, we would take training. Uh, we, we had one of those marriage counselors, um, it was required that we receive marriage counseling before the wedding. And um, I think in that training, we were told, well, training, in in the counseling classes, uh, we were told that I think it was the first two, two or three years of marriage is often the toughest. And that is the highest percentile of the couples getting a divorce is within those first two or three years. And Megan and I didn't want that for each other. And it would be even harder if we had a kid. So we decided let's let's wait. Let's just focus on each other. Uh, Let's build our relationship. Let's wait four years before we have kids. And and let's just build a foundation upon one another. And they the statistics were right. The, The first few years was the toughest. But we found a way to communicate and rely and compromise on each other. And I want to say that those first four years, even in those tough moments, were overall fantastic because, well, to be honest, overall they were. But there was one area that I struggled with and I struggled with a lot and that was having to wait to have kids. My, um, we had friends, we had several friends. Uh, I had a friend who lived out of town. Uh, Megan had a girlfriend, I had a guy friend, and we were all getting together, hanging out, and the two of them, the guy and the girl, met each other for the first time, and they, they fell in love very fast and got married very fast. I mean not with not even within a year they were married. And um some of Megan's friends were uh not together. I mean they they weren't married, they were just dating. And uh there there were quite a few people and then all of a sudden the announcements started coming out where our friends were having kids. And Megan is over the moon for him. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I'm 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 so thrilled for you. And I started getting jealous. Because I'm so close. I have a I have a good home. I have a good job. I have a beautiful wife that I absolutely adore. But I I don't have kids. And that's that's that that was part of the agreement. Both of us made that agreement. That's not Megan's fault. That's not my fault. It's just, that was an agreement so that we could build upon one each other. uh, Build upon one another. Uh, and, And it was a smart decision. But when you're in the moment and jealousy starts to take over, it's hard to focus on anything else. Because these people are starting to get the one thing I want. And I don't know how to be okay with that and here and again I was in my, my early twenties thinking that I recently moved out of mom and dad's home and uh, on my own getting my own independence and thinking I know everything and of course I don't it, it, even being 38 I don't know everything but at least I I can admit that now I, in the 20, my early twenties nope, I knew everything and the thing is All of my friends, they either were having children before they were married or they were having children before they were married and then quickly got married or they just were seeing someone on occasion and just having a little fun and ended up getting pregnant. But I didn't see the problems that these couples were going to have. The only thing I saw was they're having kids. And that's the last piece of the puzzle for me. That's that's the, the the centerpiece. That's the one thing I have been wanting more than anything ever since childhood. And I'm struggling. And I really wanted a daughter. I really, really wanted a daughter and my friend who lives out of town had announced that he's having a daughter every other one of our friends who announced they were pregnant they were having boys they were out they were all having sons but someone's having a daughter and for some reason it just it hit me like like a like a gut punch and i i had an emotional breakdown that night uh, it was it, it was selfish. It was purely selfish. But again, when you're in the moment, you don't think about that. You're you're just reacting emotionally, uh, even if it is completely an overreaction. And um, Megan had even asked me, because she was upset, understandably so, that I was this jealous over my friends having kids, and she was asking me, "Do you regret that we're waiting?" And I said, "No, I don't regret it. I just..." We were raised in in this route. We were raised in the path of the conservative Christian family that we should wait to be married before we were intimate with one another. And then um, after marriage, we take some time with each other and then have kids so that way we can build the family. And now here are all these other people are who aren't doing that. And that kind of annoyed me. But, of course, they are not me. they're not me, they're doing their own thing Uh, whether it be good or bad, that's their choice I'm not in charge of their life again, 20-something Alex thinking he knows everything but I I was steamed, I was very, very steamed and I was angry but I eventually set it aside and kept trucking what I did not know was the struggle that every one of these couples was going to have because they got married so fast, because they were having children so fast, because they were more focused about having physical pleasure with one another than building on the relationship like Megan and I had decided to do. That whenever the kids came around and the honeymoon phase was over far faster, now they're faced with reality of living with somebody else, having to take care of the baby and the responsibilities that come along with that and the financial burden that comes with that. And as much as it it truly pains me to say that every single one of those couples are no longer together. Um, and there were, like I said, there were several. I mean, I had kids that I used to teach in children's church who then grew up and they were having children before me. And that was really devastating to me. My These kids are having kids before I have kids? That How messed up is that? But even they, with the person that they had the child with, are no longer together. Of that time period, all of my friends, that entire circle, the only couple who is still together, is Megan and I. And that is because we took the time to build on our marriage. And I'm very proud that we made that decision. And uh, it stood the test of time. But I I didn't realize that. I didn't think about that. All I knew was they're having kids and I want kids and I can't have kids because we decided to wait. Uh, many of those families They they love their kids. They're still very much involved with their kids. And some of them have moved on and have found somebody else. And they're very, very happy with uh, the person that they're with now. And and I'm really happy about that. And they've been able to expand their family. Um, I do have one friend who's still trying to find their way on their feet. and, uh, And I wish them the very best. But with that out of the way, the time frame finally ended. I was so excited. It's four years. It's four years. I can I can finally start really. Pushing for. This end goal now, and Megan said she was ready, so let's let's go for this. And of course, we were thinking, well, we'll just do this a few times and ta-da, we're pregnant. That's not that wasn't the case. I mean, she had to come off birth control pills and her body had to get used to that. And uh, it took us a year almost before we got pregnant. And that was really, really frustrating to spend almost an entire year. We started trying to plan out when her body was most receptible, I guess you could say, to receive everything that it needed to be able to form the baby. And, uh, I mean, we, we're doing everything that we know to do. We're reading books, we're asking doctors, where, of course, she's all over the internet, at looking, asking Google, how the uh, best way to get pregnant. And it, it, it did nothing but just add a whole lot of stress. And a whole lot of close calls, where we thought she was finally pregnant, we take a pregnancy test, and just to find out that, no, it's it's still no. And it's, it's aggravating. And a lot of A lot of tears, a lot of disappointment. And then finally we decided we're just going to stop. And I don't mean stop having kids. I mean stop actively trying and just enjoy being with one another whenever we are inclined to spend that time with one another. And eventually... Far quicker than than the time the amount of times that we took to uh, try to make this happen. It happened. Megan woke up at four o'clock in the morning, uh, because she had to start getting ready for work. She worked at a coffee shop at the time, and she took a test, and she woke me up and had me come into the bathroom and look at the pregnancy test and it was positive. And I was excited. I was, I was over the moon, and uh, I, I couldn't go back to sleep. It was still another couple of hours before it was time for me to go to work, and I could not sleep. I'm too excited about this. She leaves for work. I stuck around, and I started praying and thanking God for this to finally happen, and I'm walking to work. I'm crying. I'm so happy. Uh, it's This is happening. I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. Is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I hope it's a girl. I hope it's a girl. And I can't stop thinking about it all day long. And we get home. And you, you, you're told during the first trimester. You're not really supposed to go and tell a whole bunch of people. Just tell people that you're really, really close with. But you know, we're, we're young and stupid, and we know everything. So we told everyone, hey, we're going to have a kid, and we were super ecstatic, and everyone was excited for us, and people were going, oh, no, a mini Alex running around. I don't think the world is ready for that. And I was like, get ready. Here it comes. I'm so excited. And I, oh, gosh, I I get jazzed just thinking about this all over again. And, uh We go see the doctor and they, of course, confirm absolutely everything that we knew and just went back to the time time timestamp when the baby uh, at at Inception and how long it's going to take and all this stuff. And um, at the time, I was doing two plays. And Megan was assisting with one of them. Uh, The first play, this was around uh, October, end of October, beginning of November. One play was called The Woman in Black, which I also had referenced a few times in our Beyond Belief episode, but I was doing the play The Woman in Black, and the second play I was doing was a play called Postmortem, which was a murder mystery. Megan was not performing on stage, but she was assisting behind the stage. uh, A lot of the backstage work. And they, they all had to know. And in case anything happened... Hey, everybody, Megan's pregnant. We're excited, just so you know, if anything happens. Okay, cool, yay, congratulations, excited. And uh, the baby grew just to the point where they would be able to hear outside of Mama's tummy. So the first play that my child would have heard me perform was The Woman in Black on Halloween night. That play is a play about, well, I'm going to get to that later. I I don't want to jump the gun. I'll get to that in a bit. If you know, you know. You'll figure it out, but the rest of you find out soon. But the first play that my child would have heard me do was The Woman in Black, and now it's time to get ready for... Post-mortem. And then the big, the big event, the the one thing I am looking forward to all year, and that is the grand premiere, well, it's not grand, just premiere of the next James Bond movie. This was in 2012. This was Skyfall. I went to the midnight premiere with my old children's pastor slash surrogate father Uh, I dressed up in my tuxedo and I convinced him to come with me and uh, I even persuaded him to put on his tuxedo because we both have one and we went to the premiere, we wore our tuxes, we sat in the back uh, seat of the IMAX theater and I got to see this absolutely amazing movie and there are so many, I relate so many things of my life to movies. Honestly, you pick a movie I've seen, I can tell you a memory that was going on in my life at the time. Um, in, in the James Bond movies, I've watched all of them numerous times and with numerous people. So one movie, I can pull a ton of memories out. And um, I, I watched this movie and I had to take him home and I started coming home and this was such a cool night. I got to go to a midnight premiere with one of my absolute most favorite people seeing one of the most awesome movie franchises in history. and it's one of the best movies I've seen in such a long time. I love this movie. I can't wait to to watch this with Megan. Uh, I can't I can't the next night because it's opening night for post-mortem so maybe Sunday. Uh, but oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I can't wait to watch this with my wife. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to watch this with my kids. Oh man, I hope my kids like this. I I hope they like James Bond. I would love so much. And I start praying. (laughs) I start praying and thanking God for how cool this night was. And again, thanking him for my kid. And I don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet, but I start asking, please, I don't want... The relationship between myself and my child to be that of the way that my father feels about a lot of movies that he likes and music that he likes and the way i feel about it we could not be more polar opposite i loathe the music that my father loves and the other way around i i don't want that i I want i want my kids to like some of the things that I am passionate about. They don't have to love everything I love. They're going to have their own taste. I want them to have their own taste, but I really want to build that relationship and and have something that I'm passionate about that they could be passionate about and we could share this experience together. I really want that. Please, please God, don't don't I don't want my kids to despise James Bond. Please, 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 please. I want to I want to I want to <laughs> bond with them over this. And I get home, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, I get in bed, Megan wakes up, how was the movie? Oh my gosh, it was amazing, I can't wait to watch this with you. I took that day off, that was a Friday, so that way I could sleep in, because that night is the play, it's opening night. And uh, now Halloween is over, I've been busy, I've been at Tech Week all week. I'm going to start taking down all the Halloween decorations and get ready to put up Christmas. It's, it's November. And I get a phone call. My wife works at, again, the, the coffee shop in the hospital. And one of our friends works for the, works at the hospital. She calls me and says, Megan, wanted me to let you know that she had to go to the restroom. And I don't want to be gross, so I will just say that she found some stuff in her undergarments. And I said, okay, is she okay? And my friend Susanna said, yeah, she's fine. She's just a little scared, wanting to know that the baby's okay. Is she hurting? No, no, she's not hurting. Okay. Well let me know if anything else happens. Because at the time, the brakes in my car were really, really bad. I had to take Megan's car everywhere. If I, didn't, if I didn't have to take my car, I wouldn't take my car. Susanna calls maybe an hour or so later, saying that Megan went to the restroom and had the same situation happen. But no pain, just finding stuff that, that shouldn't be there. Not at this stage in the pregnancy. After a while, just out of fear, she goes to the ER and she wants to have an ultrasound and check the baby, make sure the baby's okay. And as she checks, by this point, she is eight weeks along. And at eight weeks, we are supposed to be able to hear the heart rate of the baby. We cannot find a heartbeat. the baby looks small for being eight weeks it actually looks like it's at six weeks and just stopped it's two weeks behind okay is that anything we should be worried about they said well your your levels are low as well and and what it was they were measuring for i don't remember but they said let's keep you overnight and then we'll run this test again in the morning, because the morning after the mom has been sleeping, and then we check for these levels, that's the best opportunity to see if they are as high as they are supposed to be. So we'll, we'll keep you overnight. And this is opening night of the show. And my wife is, uh, she said, go ahead and go. Uh, I have no understudy for the show. If I'm not there, there is no show. It's an ensemble cast show, and I've got to be there. She understands that. She's in the theater. Uh, the phrase "the show must go on" is a most definite, relatable one. And she said, "I'm going to have mom and dad come up here, stay with me. I'm not hurting. I'm okay. Go do the show. Tell everyone I miss them, and come back and let me know how it went." Okay, so I go to the. I go to the show. And I tell the director, well, I, I had already texted the director earlier and let them know, I told the cast, and they all were going, well, go, on, go on see Megan after the show, go see her, send her our love, we miss her, we hope she's okay. The next morning, the doctor shows up, and uh, tests her, and uh, there's nothing really to worry about. Are you in any pain? No. Oh, well, OK, then go home. I mean, there's the ultrasound looks fine. Um, yes, the baby does look two weeks behind, but I've had that happen before. I have had mothers where the babies just seem to stop growing. And then all of a sudden, like the flick of a switch, they just start growing really fast. And uh, that may just be the case. We might just have a late bloomer. But if you're not experiencing pain, then I wouldn't worry. Now, if you are, you start experiencing pain, you get you get back here. But if you're not experiencing pain, it's it may just be a slow. It's a, it's a, may just be a slow a late bloomer. So, go home, get some food, eat some breakfast. So I took her home. We got something to eat, and she goes to take a shower, gets that hospital smell off of her, and then she calls to me. And she calls me in a way that I've never heard her say my name this way before. And it concerned me. It wasn't scared. It wasn't angry. It wasn't. It was very much a lot of trepidation. And I go into the bathroom. I I peek behind the curtain and she's got her hand cupped open. And she's holding this. It almost, it, it's like a gelatinous residue in, in her hand, almost looks like a leech. And I said, what is that? And she said, well, that came from me. And I said, is, are, are you hurting? No, no, I'm not. Is this something I should be worried about? Is that the stuff that was coming out yesterday? Yes. Did it look like that? Well, what happened yesterday was brighter than this. And so it was probably sitting there overnight because you didn't, you just lay down all day, all night long. You didn't clean yourself. So that, that may just be leftover from where you hadn't been able to really maintain your body. And she said, okay. I said, as long like the doctor said, as long as you're not hurting, I'm not worried. And she said, okay. She finishes cleaning up. She puts it on the shower floor. I see it by the drain. And she's getting herself cleaned up. She gets out. We eat. We watch an episode of Supernatural. And she starts to squirm on the couch. And I notice that she's squirming a little more. And squirming a little more. And then she begins to get exasperated that this is really uncomfortable. And she's not reached a point in her development where the unease should really be kicking in. And I'm getting concerned. I'm watching her very closely. She sits up, she lays down, she lays on her side, she lays on her back, she lays on her stomach, she gets up, she sits down, she lays down, she gets up, she lays on her side, she gets off the couch and gets onto the bed, gets off of the bed and onto the floor, maybe a flatter surface, maybe something a little harder, lays on her back on the floor, and then she just starts wiggling, and nothing is relieving this discomfort, and it goes from being discomfort to being a bit painful, and then to being more painful and then going to this hurts a lot this is hurting a lot alex and she's asking me do i need to go to the doctor and i said honey i'm not you i can't tell you what you need to do when you're the one who's experiencing this you need to tell me do you want to go back to the hospital and she goes i don't know i don't know i don't know and then she reaches a point where she starts. Just sobbing on the living room floor and says, screams, take me to the hospital. So I I get her up. I, I put on some flip flops on her and we go straight out the door. She can't even stand up straight. She's hunched over. She's holding her stomach. She looks like she's about to throw up, but she's not. And I help her get in the car and we rush to the hospital and we got her back in the same room, same room. I told her, go on upstairs. Uh, I had started texting Family. And let them know we're going back to the hospital. We're going back right now. Megan is hurting. She's hurting very, very badly. And I get to the hospital, told her, go ahead and go on upstairs. I'm sure they'll give you the same room. I'll get you checked in. And I, I got her checked in. I ran back upstairs and I asked the nurses, which room is she in? And they said she's in the room that she was just in. So I, I go in there, which is what I suspected they were going to do. My children's pastor is already there. And I'm looking around the room and I don't see her. And he points to the bathroom. And that's what I notice. I hear her. Crying. Very, very loudly from the bathroom. So I go into the bathroom and she's lying on the bathroom floor. Writhing around in pain, screaming at the top of her lungs, begging God for relief. And there is nothing I can do. I love my wife, and I don't want her to experience anything like this we know that pregnancy and and childbirth is going to have extreme discomfort but at the end of it you have a beautiful child and it's worth it and that that's not my words those are from my wife she has said this before but this What's the point? Why go through all this discomfort? And there's nothing I can do except sit there and watch her scream and beg and cry and pray and nothing happens. And all I can do is pray. And I know the children's pastor is on the other side of their door, also praying, trying to be respectful. And I'm losing it. I'm I'm doing everything I can to try to keep my emotions in check. So that way she won't worry about me. I'm more worried about her. And I want to do anything. I want to take all of this pain away from her. But i that's just not something I can do. And it seemed like forever. In reality, it was probably somewhere between 10 to 15 minutes. But 10 to 15 minutes in agony like that is a lifetime. The nurse finally came in. Got Megan off the floor. We laid her down on the bed. They gave her some medicine. And then our friend who called me from the day before to tell me about the condition Megan was in comes in. Family came over. They all stayed outside. And my children's pastor said, "I'll I'll go with the family. And he goes outside and talks to them. And I sat down and my friend sat over and I'm sitting in the chair next to the bed. My friend Susie is sitting on the couch and I'm just sitting there. Just angry. Hoping, praying, please. Let her be okay. Let the baby be okay. And then the nurse comes in and she says that she called the doctor. And unfortunately, Megan is in the middle of a miscarriage right now, which means that her body is trying to eject the entire baby. And the only thing they can do right now is just give her some pain medication until it's done. And the nurse leaves. And Megan is so drugged up that she just goes to sleep. The nurse didn't say a word to me. But you know, I'm not the one who's pregnant. I'm not the one who has to go through this. But I am the one who has to sit there and watch my wife be in agony and I'd be helpless to do anything about it. And that's when I thought of the play, The Woman in Black, a play about a ghost who wants to be left alone. And anytime an adult sees the woman in black, she makes you pay for it by taking your firstborn child the first play my child heard and the only play my child heard was The Woman in Black. I sat beside Megan trying to keep it together and Susie comes over and she sits down beside me and she just wraps her arms around me and I start to lose it. Family comes in, and they look after her, and they know I've got another show. I said, go do the show. I said, okay, I'll be back after the show. A long tradition with me is I like to make thank you cards and give them to the cast and crew for having this whole show be as fun as it is, because almost always they're a wonderful time. So I go to Walmart, and again, this is 2012, I find some thinking cards. I look for the checkout with the least amount of people and I find an aisle and uh, there's a couple, just one already checking out, but just my luck, this couple happens to know the cashier. So the three of them are chatting and I'm not really paying much attention. I just want them to hurry up so I can go home, fill out these cards and, and then go and make it to the show. And then I start to hear the conversation. And they're talking about a baby shower. And I see the items on the conveyor belt. And they're all baby items. And they both happen to know the mother and father. They're having a daughter and they all they're going to be wonderful parents. And I thought, are you kidding me right now? Are Are you kidding me right now? The one person. This, this conversation, this type of thing has never happened before. And the one time that I get stuck behind somebody like this is when my wife is in the hospital right now and I start getting angry. I was angry that very moment. And I remember thinking to myself, just thinking, I didn't say anything. I didn't give him a look, I, I did nothing. I just stood there and waited and kept my composure And I wanted to say something to the effect of, how dare you, how dare you stand before me right now, talking about having children, even if it's not yours, it's somebody else's. You're over here buying baby toys, and I was so close to having a child. Your friends are having a kid, they're having a daughter, and they're so happy while my wife is in a hospital right now passing Pieces of my child. And that's when it dawned on me that what she pulled from her body and that I saw and was on the floor of my shower was pieces of my child. And I remember thinking, I hope that child dies so you know how I feel. And the moment I thought that I quickly regretted it. I have never wished that on any child a day in my life before or after. I didn't say it. I just thought it. I was angry. They didn't do anything wrong. They were excited, as they should be. But I was in such an angry state at the time. And that was the moment when I knew I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And I'm gonna have to pretend that I'm okay. And I did, I went to the show. Everyone was asking how Megan was doing. I said she's having a miscarriage right now, and they were all giving me hugs. But everyone's priority was house Megan. Well, right now she's okay. She's drugged up. I did the show, came back, everyone left, and we waited. And Megan was able to go home the next morning after we did an ultrasound and... Everything was gone. And I go home. And I have to pretend. That everything's okay. We're going to be fine. Megan is extremely sad. Understandably. And she is relying on me to be her rock, be her anchor, and I can't. I try. I I really, I really try, but I am filled with rage. But I can't let that out. I let it out one time, just, just some of how frustrated I was, and she broke down immediately and was begging me to stop because if I lose it, then she will lose it, and she doesn't want to lose it. So I can't let out my emotions, I have to hold them in. And the more I think about it, the more I'm realizing all my other friends, all these people who've not waited and they had kids, they get to have their children But even then, the jealousy aside, how many parents are out there who are just absolutely abhorrible parents? They they are not even really parents. They're the most awful human beings, and they treat their children awful. They get to have their kids, but we try to live our lives according to the Bible, and we lose ours? Where's the justice in that? And it didn't matter what anybody said to me. Nobody could say anything to me that would make me feel better. But the thing is, nobody said anything to me. They would talk to Megan. And they would say something along the lines of, well, you're still young. There's plenty of opportunity. And in my mind, I'm thinking, of course I'm still young. But I don't want plenty of opportunity. I had an opportunity and I had it. I want that one. And then they would say, so, well, maybe something was wrong. And I said, yes, and God heals. So why didn't I have my kid? And then they would say something. Uh, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what they said. Everything they would try to say, it just made me angrier. Nobody could say anything that would make me feel better. And the thing is, nobody even tried to come over to me and ask me how I was doing. Yes, everyone checked Megan. She's upset. She's hurt. She's she's sad. Yes, everyone, check on her. Please check on her. That's not being sarcastic. That's genuine. Go check on her. See how she is. But it would have been wonderful to have one person worry about how is dad doing in all this because dad is not okay. I am not okay. And no one cares because I'm not the one who lost the child. Yes, I did. I am devastated. And the only person that Megan is worried about is me. And even then, I can't vent my emotions to her. I am crushed. I I can't sleep well. I have no modicum of peace. I'm still going to church. I'm still teaching children's ministry. I'm putting on a face. I'm just so mad. I'm mad at everyone. People are like, well, God doesn't do these kinds of things. This is an attack from the enemy. I said, yes, but God still allowed it to happen, didn't he? I'm so mad. So one day. One day I decided to go out. Within walking distance from my home is the park. Beautiful park. And I love to go jogging there. There's a path that goes in a big circle, and in the middle of it is a lot of playground equipment. And uh, I like to jog there, but I like to jog at certain hours whenever there's not as many people there, if anybody at all. But I notice the weather looks like it's about to storm. But it's one of those... The sky still mostly looks clear. You can see the bright blue... But the clouds are really gray and it's kind of broken up all around and there's no wind. It's just still. And it's quiet. And it looks like it's going to be bad. This is great weather. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. Everyone's afraid everyone's like this is going to fall. It's just going to there's going to be a sheet that's going to open at any moment. So everyone's indoors. I decide to go out for a jog. And I start going around the the circle. The wind starts to pick up. I can just feel it hitting my body. And then at one point, I stop and I look at the swing set. And I just stand there. And I remember thinking, whenever I was jogging earlier, uh, a few weeks ago, i can't wait to push my kid on these swings i can't wait for that that's gonna be cool and now here i am standing looking at the same swing set and i have no kid and that is when i swear to you i swear to you to anyone who's listening As the wind was blowing and I was standing there, looking at the swings, I felt a hand come up up and take mine. I felt a child's hand in mine and there's no body standing beside me. And I knew that was my child. I just stood there and stared and I closed my eyes and I gripped tight and I could feel my child grip my hand even tighter and I did not want to let go we never did find out if it was a boy or a girl but i swear i don't know why but in that moment i i knew it was a girl i don't know how i knew it but i knew it and i did not want to let her go i stood there because i knew the second i let this go i don't know if i'll ever get to feel this again and i stood and it got darker the wind started picking up and I knew I was going to have to go. And I said out loud, I have to go, baby. And I let go. But she didn't. I could still feel her holding on to me. I grabbed her again I said, Baby, I got to go. Storm's coming. I don't need to be out here in this but i'll i'll see you soon okay you look after the place for me till i get there I told her i loved her I, I let go and i felt her let go And then I went home. Megan could tell I wasn't okay. Because I'm never like this. She asked what happened, and I told her what happened, and she cried too. She never doubted the authenticity. And that was that was the end of that. And uh, I just thought about it all night, all week. And then a couple weeks later, I'm at church. Megan and I are up front. And uh, we're singing some songs. Miss Linda walks over. She stands between us and she puts one hand on Megan's shoulder, one hand on my shoulder, looks at us both. She looks over at Megan. Uh, Miss Linda had a a wonderful ability of um, the gift of uh, prophecy. And she looked over at Megan and said, God wanted me to let you know that you will be okay. It'll be a little while, but you will be okay. God's not forgotten you. And Megan said, thank you. And then she looked at me. And she said, you are very angry, aren't you? And I nodded, yep. And she said, no one's asked about you. No one's cared about you. No one's thought that dad is struggling too. But God wants you to know that you are. And he recognizes that you are. Did you ever find out if it was a boy or a girl? And I said, no, we never found out. And she said, I see a girl. She said, she's in heaven waiting for you. And she's watching every little thing you do. And she said, I see in your future, a house full of children and not all of them are yours, but they will be yours. But I thanked her and she left. She went and sat back down. We didn't know how long it was going to be, how long we were going to have to wait. But we were at peace for a little bit, but I still was very angry. I stayed angry. It's I had what I wanted, and now I don't. But even though I was angry, I still put in the work. I still went to church. I still taught, even though there were days I didn't feel like it. I'd go to work and do my best. And there were days when Megan was very upset, and I would try to be of comfort. As best I could, and I I want to say that it was over the course of a few days, but uh, it, it was more than that. It was even longer than a few weeks. It was a it was a few months. And then one day, I'm at work, and I don't know. I don't know why, the the night before. Megan and I had a a night of intimacy, and then the next day, all that was gone. I mean, that was the last thing I was thinking about. I was at work. I was focusing on my job. And I don't know why, but there was a switch. I mean, as if somebody flipped an off switch to on. It was that sudden. My attitude just changed in the blink of an eye. It's as if a parent was letting their child vent and they were frustrated. So you let them go. And then once that child had reached a point where it's been going on too long or they're saying something they shouldn't say or or the attitude is just getting too much. And the parent stops and says, all right, that's enough. And the child just stops. It was very much that. I wasn't even thinking about anything that went on with the, the miscarriage. I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was just in a mood. I was I was constantly irritated for the last several months. And then a switch. Boom. And I I felt like God just told me, all right. That's enough. I understand. You have every reason to feel the way that you feel, but that's enough. I will take your anger now. And for the first time... I was completely at peace. And... I I felt like God was also telling me that Megan was pregnant. We've been trying for the course of a year, just about. Much like the first pregnancy, but it just felt like she was. I had no evidence to back this up. It wasn't even long enough for a a pregnancy test to start working. This, is, this was one night But I, I just I do it So I finish up my work I go home And Megan is sitting in the recliner And I got down on my knees And I rested my head in her lap And told her I love her And I told her I don't know what happened But All my anger is gone He's just gone, and she was very happy. And she said, I wish my sadness would be like that. And I said, well, honey, I think it's going to very soon. I believe God told me that you are pregnant. And she didn't believe me. She wanted to believe me. I said, don't worry, You, you are. I waited and I watched her very closely. And soon she started showing signs of fatigue and dizziness. And she was late and we took the test and it was positive. We went to the doctor and they confirmed you're pregnant. And then they did their measurements and their time gap to see when Inception was, and uh, they backtracked it to the day she was pregnant, was the day a few weeks ago when I told her she was, the day my attitude changed, the day God said, all right, that's enough. And we found out we were having a boy. And by this point, my, my opinion on having a girl first or a boy first had changed because she was going to allow me to paint Sam's room to look like the Mushroom Kingdom from Mario Brothers. And it looked so cool. She said, can you make this look adorable? I said, yes, I can. And Sam's room was uh, Mushroom Kingdom for many years. But Sam was our firstborn. But he was not our first child. And then I noticed that a lot of the kids that I would teach, especially the teenagers, they had no father figure. I was their father figure. They would come up to me for prayer or needs, and some of them were even suicidal. And I told Megan, uh, this this getting together on Sundays and Wednesdays is not enough, these kids need something else and i started having the kids over and we'd watch movies we'd play games we'd just hang out have all of them over once a week we'll all get together and just grow together as a group so the kids got to see not just teacher alex they got to see husband alex and father alex they got to see how i i I acted with megan they got to see how i acted with my kids They got to see me rock Sam to sleep and lay him down in the crib. And then we'd all watch a movie. They'd watch me help Megan bring in the groceries. One of the kids at one point said, do you know that you and Megan are relationship goals? And I said, no, I didn't know that, but thank you. And uh, I stayed with these kids for years. And um, then one day, uh, my buddy Joe came over. He was picking something up. And all the kids were there. So what do you guys got going on? You got a, got a party going on? I said, that eh, kind of, and I explained what we were doing. We were watching all the MCU movies right now, having the kids over once a week. We just give them someplace safe that they can get away from all the problems that they're having. And then I started telling him a joke about something that Sam had said, like he was, he was singing some song from Rocky Horror Picture Show or something. And, uh, and he was laughing. Joe has a, a very, very dark sense of humor and he joked and said, what, you let letting your kids sing Rocky Horror? Man, you're such a horrible parent. You know, that, that kind of a joke. And I know he's joking with me, but one of the other girls, who's a teenager, she stopped everything and said, don't say that to my buddy Joe. And he stopped and everyone else stopped and went, what? She said, don't call him A bad parent. And Joe starts to joke and said, what? He is. He's a bad parent. He's listening to his kid. We're listening to Rocky Horror. I mean, he's antagonizing just to antagonize. And she would stop and say, no, no, don't. Don't even joke about it. I have seen a bad parent. I've seen more than my fair share of a bad parent. Alex is not a bad parent. He is a wonderful father. And he is our father. And all the kids in the room start nodding. And that's when I remembered what Miss Linda said to me about four years ago. That one day she sees a house full of children. Not all of them are mine. But they're mine. And then, sometime after, a new couple starts coming to our church a husband and wife duo, where they just lost their baby. She was sad, and he was angry. And they came to church looking for answers. Because no one understands what they're going through. And Megan and I started talking to the two of them. And we started telling them we do. We know exactly how you feel. And we started to share our story with them. And to this day we're lifelong friends and. And he's become like a brother like an uncle to my kids and loves the Lord. And then just a few years ago, Sam comes up. I was watching all the James Bond movies with one of my teenagers. He's now an adult living on his own, but we were watching all the Bond movies and Sam walks in and, the The man with the golden gun is on TV, and he's he's glued. This is really cool. What is this? So it's James Bond movies, buddy. You mean those movies that you love so much? Yeah. And then right around Christmas, I think it was Christmas Eve. No, 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 no. It was the day after Christmas, like the twenty seventh or the thirtieth or something, close to his birthday, but not quite. No, 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 it wasn't it wasn't even then. That this, this was. Uh, considerably, uh, this was like mid-December, like December 14th or something to that effect. Uh, Sam asked, can we start watching the James Bond movies? And he's six. Yes, he was six. He was six years old. And said, can we watch the James Bond movies? I said, well, sure. You might be a little bored with it. Do you, do you want me to pick out some of the ones you'd like or do you want to start from the very beginning and go all the way through? He said, I want to start them from the beginning and go all the way through. I said, okay. Okay. So we watched the first James Bond movie from 1962, and he's six, so I would have to pause the movie, tell him what's going to happen, who the characters are, this is what the plot is. And I would do about every every other scene that way, so he could follow the movie as it was going on. I would mute certain parts, I'd fast-forward certain parts, and uh, we watched the full movie, and he absolutely loved it, and he couldn't wait. Can we watch? Can we watch the? What's the next movie? <laughs> the next one is From Russia with Love. Can we watch that tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, okay, and we start going through all of them. And then uh, Sam's birthday is on the thirty first of January, and he wanted to have a James Bond birthday party. This was uh, in twenty twenty one, I believe. And uh, I said, okay, uh, we'll do a big James Bond party. And I got him his own tuxedo, and we decorated the room. I drew a bunch of James Bond villains on cardboard. I brought him a brand-new Nerf gun, and he spent the night over at his grandma's. And then when he came over, I came outside with, this, with a Nerf gun, this new Nerf gun with the, that would shoot the, the balls at the end of it instead of the darts. And I said, your mission, should you choose to accept it? No, this is not Mission Impossible. But I told him, there are Bond villains inside. They're all over the house. You need to take them down. And gave him the Nerf gun. And he walks into the room, and there's balloons everywhere. There's a giant James Bond gun barrel in the corner. Big gold 007 up on the ceiling. The James Bond theme music is playing. And all his presents were wrapped up in little suitcases. And, uh, and oh, he was so excited. He was like, oh! Oh, and start shooting all the villains. And Jensen was wearing a tuxedo onesie. My my one year old at this point, and we're uh, almost one year old, and he had a blast. And then the time came to watch Skyfall, and this is where it all started. This was the last great thing that I got to experience just before. My wife's miscarriage. You wanna watch this movie? Yes. He's so excited, he can't wait to watch it. So he sat down, I sat down on the on the recliner. He is now he didn't he's no longer six years old, he's 007 years old. He comes over and he wants to sit down in my lap and watch the James Bond movie with me. And he responded appropriately. He would get excited over everything. He got excited about the James Bond car when it showed up at the end. He, he got sad when uh, there were certain characters who were killed. Uh, he would laugh at all the appropriate moments. I mean, he he got into the movie and it's one of his favorites. And. I got. To share. My favorite franchise with my son who loves it just as much as I do which is what I was praying for that night in 2012 after the premiere I wanted to share these with my kids and they enjoy them with me and with Megan because she loves them too not only that I have Sam. But a few years later, we had Jensen. And much like how I would imagine my youngest child Wanting to be everywhere I was, wanting to do whatever I was doing, and even if they didn't want to do what I was doing, they wanted to be in the same room with me. That's my youngest. Everywhere I go, he's got to be there. He's got to do everything I'm doing, or at the very least, be within close proximity. And every November. November 12th. The 11 years this year, it is 11 years this year, that I remember being at the park, just me, the calm before the storm, holding my little girl's hand, my daughter in the wind.